Have you ever maybe put your hand on a hot stove or maybe got your hand like trapped in a car door or maybe even something more severe than that where it almost felt like your whole body went into shock for a minute and almost to protect you from the pain that you were experiencing? It almost feels like for a moment, everything is okay. You are numb to the present reality before you. Almost like your brain can't keep up with the amount of pain that you're actually in. So I got a tattoo recently, and I hadn't gotten one for around three or four years. And I kind of forgot that they actually, you know, they do hurt quite a bit. And I forgot how important it is to eat a good breakfast before you go to the appointment and to make sure you stay really hydrated. And naturally, I didn't do either of those things. So... Uh, The body can actually sometimes go into shock uh, or on a minor scale when getting a tattoo, but a couple of different things can happen depending on your response. So I felt like I was going to pass out. Um, I didn't exactly know if this was minor shock or coming off of some kind of adrenaline, but I do know that the room was spinning and it got like really quiet, like sound was muffling and I could see that like the outer of my eyes, it started to become black. Um, So I also felt really shy and I didn't want to share that I was experiencing this kind of wooziness. Um, So I, you know, I wanted to put a brave face on, make it seem like I was tough and I could sit through it. I did end up telling the artist how I was feeling, which was great. And so um, they gave me a granola bar and a water bottle, and I was able to just lie down for a few minutes. And after that, everything felt great. And in reality, it was probably a lot less embarrassing to say that I, you know, I wasn't feeling well than it would have been to actually pass out at the appointment. So this brings me to the point that I want to drive home today. And it's that if we pretend like everything is okay, when we are hurting, it can be detrimental to our physical and mental and spiritual well-being. So today we are looking at Psalm 31. And before we read it together, I want us to go over the context of the passage so we can really understand why David, the author here, felt the way he did. So we're going to take a close look at David uh, throughout the next few minutes here. And we're going to see how hiding his emotions negatively affected his physical and mental and spiritual well-being. And then later, we're going to discuss how it can do the same thing to ours if we don't open up with others about what we're going through. So the context of Psalm 31. Now, before we get into this too, I want to state that I want us to learn from, not from David's victories today, but from his mistakes. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we can forget that the main character of the story is certainly not always the hero of the story. Now, David says a lot of very poetic and even beautiful things in this psalm, but we do have to keep in mind, this is a psalm of lament. David was at a really low point in his life here. So this takes place when his son Absalom was entering into Jerusalem to kill him. This is around 2 Samuel 13. David's at a really low point in his life here. This is after uh, he has committed adultery with Bathsheba and after he has committed or sent an order for Uriah to be murdered. It is also when Absalom, son of David, wanted to kill him. Why? Because of Amnon, Absalom's brother, took advantage of Tamar, their sister. It can also be reasonably perceived that Absalom had anger towards David because although unknowingly, he still played a role in what happened to Tamar. So Absalom's anger against his father here is very righteous. 
He had every right to be angry at Amnon for what he did and David for not punishing Amnon, his son. So what I see as a common theme in this story is there is no expression of how anybody is feeling. The only sign of remorse that we see is from David in 2 Samuel 13.21 when he says that he was furious about what Amnon did, but there is never any action that follows that. Similarly, we see in 2 Samuel 13.22 that Absalom never said a word to Amnon about what happened, neither good or bad, even though he hated his brother for what he did to their sister Tamar. So why did David never punish Amnon? Perhaps it was a deep sadness that his own son was capable of such a thing. Perhaps it was a sense of guilt over his own sexual sins. Possibly he was not ready to share what he was feeling. Perhaps there was a fear to share with his son what he truly felt towards him. Now, if David had dealt with Amnon in the first place, would Absalom still want to kill his brother and father? Amnon deserved punishment, and there's no room for debate in that, in my opinion. So could it have been a lack of communication between David and his sons that led to the agony that David was experiencing here in this psalm? So as we read Psalm 31, uh, keeping all of this in mind, we're going to go in a few different directions too. So he begins by expressing his confidence in the Lord. He's taking great comfort in the fact that God has an intimate knowledge of his situation. Then we see uh, David airing his complaint to God, and we start to see that uh, what he's going through has now extended beyond just the emotional realm and is now affecting him physically. David is recognizing that his sin has caused irreversible problems in his life. What he did with Bathsheba and Uriah, and then further not being able to confront Amnon. So this psalm is written as David was fleeing Jerusalem to avoid being assassinated by Absalom. And also many of his close friends and family, uh, they abandoned him for fear of the uprising against him. So with all of that in mind, let's read Psalm 31 together. So in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. You are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols, and as for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbor, an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord. For I have cried out to you. 
But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced for the pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he, he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. There's a lot to take in from that psalm there, and we can tell that David was in a really emotionally draining place. So we're going to talk now about how not sharing about our emotions after a hardship can affect our physical and mental and spiritual well-being, just like we're seeing with David here. So we're going to start with our physical well-being. So do you know someone that maybe pretends that everything is fine, even if they have a serious injury? The type of person who doesn't want to bother anybody with their potential health need, like they never went to the hospital for a broken thumb and then later it became much worse for them. I think sometimes we view um, asking for help, um, maybe in our physical health as a sign of weakness, when in reality, it's a strength to admit that we need help physically and emotionally. So in this Psalm, we see David express to God that he is physically pained because of what he's experiencing. He says, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief, and my strength fails me because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. So David He is here in a place now where his body is starting to feel the effects of what he is going through. Now, our physical and our mental health is a lot more connected than we might think. Think about the last time you went in for a job interview or maybe you went on a first date. Um, You feel those moments in your gut. Um, Or sometimes we get a gut feeling that we might be in some kind of danger. And this can be when our fight or flight kicks in. So physical symptoms can be the body's way of communicating to us that something is not right mentally. And I've had this only on a couple of occasions, but for some people, it's very regular where you actually experience a lot of nausea due to your anxiety. Because generally the brain is undergoing significant stress when you're feeling those moments of anxiety. So the physical body, it doesn't respond well to stress. Stress can be seen in the physical form of skin irritation, headaches, lack of sleep, or more simply put, myself in college. So it goes the other way around too. When someone thinks they might be depressed, one of the first things that a counselor will ask is about your exercise and your diet, or lack thereof for exercise. Um, It's amazing the difference that these things can do, or these physical things for our mental health. Now, of course, in the case of a diagnosed mental illness, too, there's a lot more that needs to be done than just a good diet and exercise. But these two things are incredibly important to our mental well-being. And believe me, I am preaching to myself more than anybody here. Um, I only really exercise with the help of a longboard or a snowboard uh, attached to me. So bringing this back to this passage here, we really see that David is struggling Um, with how he talks about his physical health. He says his eyes and his bones are weak. His eyes are probably hurting because he likely hasn't slept well in a long time. He probably feels weak because he's been on the move for so long now. He says, my strength fails me because of my affliction. 
So the mental and the physical health are so, so connected. Another example is we can think of when uh, God told Elijah, uh, when he felt overwhelmed by his circumstances, even to the point where he wanted to take his own life, God told him to sleep and to eat. That's in 1 Kings 19. Our physical well-being is so closely interconnected with our mental well-being, which is why it's so important to take notice of what our physical body might be trying to say to us and speak up and get help when we need it. So don't try to be your own body's hero by pretending that nothing is wrong. Our body is a temple and it's so important to take care of it. So the second thing we're going to talk about now is how not expressing what we're going through can affect our mental well-being. It almost seems like too self-explanatory to have a whole point in a message about how sharing about our emotions and hardships is ben beneficial to our mental well-being. You might be thinking, well, obviously, Holly, but I'm going to venture to say that this isn't obvious for everyone. Now, I realize that all personalities are different from others, and I I'm an extreme verbal processor. There's no doubt about that. Um, however, I think no matter your personality when going through a trauma or any hardship, bottling up what you're going through is not going to be beneficial to anybody. It's not going to help. And I'm really glad that we are living in a time now where talking about our feelings is a lot more normalized. I remember my mom suggesting counseling to me when I was younger, when I was dealing with the passing of my dad, the thought of counseling absolutely was a terrible idea to me because it meant, oh, if you go to counseling, it means there's something wrong with you. And I'm really glad that right now the narrative of seeking help is not still seen in this negative light. So it doesn't take much to see that reading it, reading this psalm, to see that David's mental health was not in a great place in this time, in this context of this passage. He says, I am an object of dread to my closest friends. As an extrovert, I can't imagine anything worse than feeling like an object of dread to my closest friends. Now, we assume here that his friends are wanting to keep that space between him because David had an army of people after him. So this sounds incredibly lonely if you ask me. And if there's one thing I think we can all agree on after this year, it's that we really need each other. But what I want to focus more on uh, when we're talking about our mental well-being, um, I want to talk about this picture that David painted of being in a spacious place. Uh, he says this in verse 31, verse 8. You have set my feet in a spacious place. And this, honestly, this verse here was one of the things that really grabbed me when I was even deciding what I wanted to talk about this summer to all of you. This idea of a spacious place really jumped out at me. So what kind of emotions come to your mind when you hear a spacious place? Maybe it's comfort, relaxation, freedom. Depending on who you ask, it can actually be kind of a terrifying thing. Uh, me, for example, when I think of a spacious place, my first thought is honestly fear. I think I have the opposite of whatever claustrophobia is. I have a fear of giant spaces. Like if I think long enough about the ocean, I am terrified. And it's not because I don't know how to swim or anything like that, but I get really overwhelmed with the unknowns. Uh, we have no idea what's lurking below us, and we have no clue if a dangerous wave is going to come out of nowhere. The point remaining is that I get anxious with the amount of unknowns. But there's power behind this picture of a spacious place that David is creating. And he says, you have set my feet in a spacious place. Saying you have set my feet implies security here. So now what is um, this 
picture of a spacious place have to do with taking care of our mental well-being, or in other words, our mental health? I think to not be afraid to go to a mental, spacious place is a discipline that we all would need to work on. And I sometimes am afraid to get here. I think sometimes we like to fill our lives with the soundtrack of anything other than silence. I think we can sometimes be afraid of silence because we don't want to accompany or confront the thoughts that are accompanied with silence. I live alone, so I have the TV on most of the time, or I'm listening to a podcast or music simply because I just like the background noise. So kind of if I'm cooking or cleaning or whatever, I like to have that noise on in the background. But I realized even in the last couple months, just how much I almost am afraid of that silence if I don't have those background noises going on. So in the last few months, I've been trying to force myself to be more okay with silence. And I think that starts with asking ourselves, what are we afraid of confronting in our thoughts that stops us from sitting in silence? And I think the more that we share with others about what's really going on inside our head and our hearts, especially in hardship, I think the less afraid we might be to get to that mental spacious place that David is talking about here. A place where we aren't flooded with entertainment or work concerns or family struggles or whatever else might keep you up at night but a spacious place where our feet are secure and a place that we can invite Jesus into. This, of course, brings us to talking about our spiritual well-being. So the, the need to let others in on where we're at with our spiritual well-being, or in other words, our personal relationships with Jesus. So what about for those who aren't Christians too? Does everyone have a spiritual well-being that needs to be cared for? And I would say the answer is yes. And our hope as believers is that God fills this void for all of humanity one day. Now, there are a lot of other religions out there too, where people find their spiritual sense of self. And from my observation, even people who still have no religion at all, they still have a desire for spiritual wholeness and experiences and understanding. People will go see sidekicks. They will read astrology. They will buy crystals, maybe meditate, or even do hallucinogenic drugs just to have some kind of spiritual experience or awakening. People everywhere have a desire to experience something that is outside of this world. They want some kind of cathartic experience. So regardless of whether or not it's known by everyone yet, we were made for a meaningful spiritual connection with God, our creator. So David expresses a deep desire to be intimately seen by God, as well as a need for assurance that God has got his back. He says in verse 22, in my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. David is saying that when he had a moment of panic, he expressed to God that he felt cut off from him. And he then affirms that he knows God heard his cry for mercy. But that moment sure sounds incredibly lonely where he felt cut off from God. And David has been cut off from his friends and his family. So he naturally feels like he's all alone in this world. So he wants that companionship with God. And I think David is an example of why we can't do this life alone. We need community. We need connection. And this is the same with our spiritual lives. We're living in a time where you might get overwhelmed. And maybe you even have a time when you feel like you want to distance yourself from the church. Maybe you want to say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's my own and that can just be my own thing. I don't really need to go to church. But I think this can lead to even something more lonely. 
being able to share with others about what we're really going through in our hearts when it comes to our faith is so, so important. So one way that we can talk about what we're going through in in our hardships um, is confession. Confession is a key part of the Christian faith. And sometimes I'll confess something to God and I'll feel forgiven in my heart and I know that God's grace is good enough for me. But there's something about talking about what you're going through with somebody else physically there in front of you that really makes you feel like you can move past whatever you're going through. So when you need to move past something, saying those words out loud with another person there can be incredibly therapeutic. I've really noticed myself in the last year, the effects that this life has on me when I'm not surrounded by a community of believers. We need each other. And we especially need to be able to share about how we're doing when it comes to our faith. And maybe you feel ashamed of what you're trying to work through, but I bet you there's a bunch of people around you who are secretly working on the same thing and could really benefit from someone to talk to about it. Talking about where we're at in our spiritual lives is so, so important. And especially if we kind of feel like we're at a hardship, maybe we have questions that we need answered or we're going through something difficult. We don't know how to talk about it. It's incredibly important to not bottle up these questions that we're working with. Because I guarantee you, others probably have the same questions too. So if we pretend like everything is okay when we are hurting, it can be detrimental as we've seen to our physical and mental and spiritual well-being. When you go through something traumatic, it is usually the case that you don't realize how much you hurt until a lot later. This was definitely the case for me in dealing with my dad's passing. I don't think it occurred to me how much that hurt me until years later because I was so young too when I experienced it. But we kind of feel like everything is fine in the moment because that kind of helps us truly protect us from the pain that we're going through. Almost like we talked about when you put your hand on a hot stove, it almost feels like for a minute everything's fine and then you take it away and then you realize, oh, that really, really hurt and I need to do something about that. And, you know, we also saw people kind of running from problems instead of dealing with them all the time in the Bible. Uh, We think about Moses. He ran away to start a completely new life after he killed someone. And then you think of Jonah. He ran away from what God wanted him to do, and he ended up in the belly of a giant fish. So I want to ask, what might the implications be if we don't take the time to properly grieve what we have lost this year and a half during COVID? It feels as though maybe we were running on adrenaline or experiencing some kind of shock for this whole pandemic. We were all likely dealing with massive headaches all the time, like maybe making massive decisions on the fly in our workplace, maybe having to deal with canceled trips you had with family and friends, or one word, Zoom. But maybe there's a major thing you had to miss out on because of COVID. So I think it's important for us to ask, what do we need to mourn the loss of from this pandemic? I'm sure you could all think of at least one thing you were upset to miss out on on this year, and probably way more. Maybe you missed out on a wedding, or maybe time with your kids and your grandkids. Maybe your high school graduation was completely different than how you envisioned it. Maybe you had a significant birthday or anniversary that didn't get the proper celebration it deserved. Maybe you lost someone to COVID-19. Or maybe you weren't allowed to see a loved one because it put you or them in danger. For myself, this was certainly the longest amount of time I ever went without regularly seeing my family and friends. And as an extrovert, you can imagine this just, you know, how hard hard this was for me. 
I also wasn't able to attend one of my best friend's weddings as she lives in Ontario. I haven't even, I haven't been able to see the children of my close friends and family grow up. Did I mention all the youth events we had to cancel as well? I'm not going to lie. This year was really, really challenging. And if I'm being transparent with you all, I had a really hard time this year not being able to do the part of this job that I loved the most, which is being able to spend time with our youth here at Ross Road. And don't get me wrong, I'm incredibly grateful for the times that we had on Zoom with each other. But honestly, not being able to be with the students really took the life out of me during this year. My mental health was in a pretty rough state for a while this year. And I think it would be really simple to return to normal life and act as though nothing is different than how it was before. But I think that is the wrong move. I think that taking the time to talk about what we've lost in this last year and what hardships, what frustrations and heartaches we experienced will allow us to come out of this moving forward, feeling healthier and lighter. Think of it when you have your check engine light come on in your car. The longer you take to go get that fixed and see what was really wrong, the worse that your car is going to get. And I think humans are no different. Now, this has certainly been kind of a more heavy message with you all this morning. So I want to end on a hopeful note and with something kind of practical on how we can start to deal with our pain and moving past it. So I am going to just share something that Curtis Congo actually shared with me a couple years ago. And it was a suggestion on a way to how to deal with something really difficult that you're working through. So he told me to write on a scale of one to 10, how much pain you are in every day until you are down to about a two or a three. So I did that for a couple of months. I, every day I had a calendar and I would write down the number of pain that, or the number to the amount of pain that I was in. And I did that until I went down to about a two or a three. And let me tell you, there's something about naming your pain that you are in that makes it all the more bearable. You aren't denying the current reality that exists. You are facing it head on. And I think the feeling of looking back afterwards and seeing the progress that you made is an amazing thing. When I got to look back, physically open a book and say, look at the progress that I made here. It was absolutely incredible. So David didn't communicate with Absalom or Amnon during pivotal, pivotal moments when everyone in the family was feeling such a deep pain and it cost them their relationships. And I don't think it has to be like this. I think a lot of the times we need to hurt before we feel well again. Think about after you have a surgery, you aren't better right away. There's a recovery process that has to take place there after your body just went through a significant trauma. I think this is the same with our emotions after a hardship. That recovery is not hiding through what we've been through. It's letting someone into that. So if we pretend like everything is okay when we're hurting, it can be really detrimental to our physical and mental and spiritual well-being. But if we share our honest and authentic feelings with others and create a spacious place that we can invite Jesus into, we can not only survive after a hardship, but come out stronger than we were before. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you have an intimate knowledge of what it is we're going through. God, thank you that you care about every part of our physical and mental and spiritual well-being. God, you don't leave us or forsake us. And God, I confess to filling so many moments of silence with voices other than yours. And I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of sitting in silence and that I can find 
the spacious place to meet with you every day. God, I pray that we would all feel so comfortable sharing with others and with you about how we are really doing. So God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.